It's time for some ASAP Frontline. I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and we've got a new venture today with uh, Dr. Joe Habush, MD, MBA, CEO of MD Aware LLC, also the Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine, NYU Bellevue, Director of Finance, NYU Department of Emergency Medicine. Um, this is actually the first cast ASAP helped us uh, get together on this that I'm uh, in Kentucky and you are in uh, up in New York, I assume, that uh, I haven't heard otherwise. So I appreciate you uh, joining here as we uh, move into the next phase of um, ASAP Frontline. And really wh why we wanted to bring you in here today is, is uh, kind of a, you know, brother from a different mother kind of idea that we both got interested in stuff well before med school that we came back around to after med school and residency, mine being more media, yours being something that actually makes money, um, and that's uh, business, uh, business and entrepreneurship. So um, you're a fam you're from a family of physicians, so you're kind of like me. Your your family lineage of physicians is much longer than mine. Mine, if we go back two generations, is our first ones to ever go to college. Uh, but you have this you're the seventh generation physician in your family um, from Iraq and. Uh, now here in the United States, making lives better, and um, most folks may recognize that MD Calc and some of the things you're involved with. So, give us an idea of how you got where you are, and and how you got interested in doing more than uh, just bedside medicine. Great. Well, first of all, Ryan, totally excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am a huge fan of everything you've done. Um, so, thank you. Thank you. So, yes, I came from a large family of doctors. My family's originally from Iraq. I was born here. And we have seven, I'm the seventh generation doctor. So a huge family of physicians. And as vertical as it is, it's horizontal. So it was more or less sort of set that I was going to go into medicine growing up, as a lot of immigrant doctor families are. But I was a little different than a lot of, a lot of folks in my family in that I always was trying to think of the bigger picture problems and try to find solutions for them. And what really had me open my eyes to it was something that happened when I was in high school that was a little bit difficult. Uh, my, my sister, who had been sick with anorexia for eight years, died when, when I was 17. And, you know, 17, I felt like a, I felt like a, an adult at 17, but I look back, this rocked my world. This really made me open my eyes. And a lot of people say that when they have a family member who dies or is sick, that's what leads them to go into medicine. And mine was a little bit of the opposite, actually. I actually stepped away from medicine at that point and started to try to focus at what really I wanted to do in this world and how to fix these bigger picture problems, which is kind of the way I was thinking. And I started college and immediately did what seemed to be ways to go for those solutions. I joined the student government and worked on some projects. At that point, were bigger picture issues. And I finished college, and I still wasn't pre-med yet. I had finished college in 98, right around the dot-com boom, the first dot-com boom. And I started a small internet company and um, really got my feet wet with my first internet company. Made a bunch of money in a year and then had my company fall apart. And I went through this whole roller coaster of that process. And after that, I traveled. I went to Argentina. And during this whole process, I still loved medicine and still was involved somewhat in medicine and was drawn to it. And I couldn't resolve this difference in me. I wanted to work in bigger picture problems, but 
I love medicine. I was a science nerd. I love the challenge of it. I knew it so well from my family. How do I resolve this? And I basically, on this trip to Argentina where I took a step away from life, decided, you know what? I'm going to do both. I'm going to do an MD, MBA. And that's what I ended up doing. I came back to the city and went to Cornell Med School and Columbia Business School. Um, almost went straight into venture capital after that. I was really involved in businessy type things during that period. And um, right, yeah, I was offered actually some very lucrative roles within venture capital. And at the last minute said, hey, I really want to practice medicine. If I really am going to do this right, I need to be able to practice and to work on the bigger picture problems. And so that's what I did. I went back to residency at St. Luke's Roosevelt. And since then, I've worked in academic medicine. I love academic medicine. I love teaching, but I also love working on some bigger picture problems. And so let me do all the things I'm working on now. And that's an, it's an interesting course that, that you took. Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you were doing really starting to plant these seeds, you know, in medical school, you know, not, not letting that, not completely putting that dream to bed during the medical school aspect of things, which can be difficult considering that uh, medical school seems to hijack everything in your life for almost four years. Um, so give us an idea, let everybody know what was going on that kind of kept that flame going and things you kind of did during medical school that planted those seeds that allowed you to continue doing what you're doing today. That's a good way to look at it. So I got very lucky in medical school, but part of it was that it is what normally my, my mind goes to, is to working on bigger picture issues. So at Cornell, there was this special role for a medical student to sit on the board of trustees. So this is the big board of trustees. While Cornell, Sandy Weil, who was a CEO of Citigroup, was the chairman of the board, and all these big business guys, mostly not doctors, the dean, a few other roles, and a med student. And so I was on that, I was elected to that board for a three-year period. And because of that, was got involved in a lot of really cool projects, a lot of international things Cornell was doing. We set up a medical school in Qatar, another medical school in Tanzania. Um, as a student, I was involved in some aspects of that. I helped set up the MD-MBA program at Cornell that I was involved in. But I think the biggest thing is there was always a part of me that was searching for the bigger picture solutions. When I was doing a rotation, I would say, huh, this is a way the hospital works well. I think a lot of people think this way, actually, in medicine. This is a way the hospital works well, but why don't we do these other things to make it better? I think you and I were just talking about the pros and cons of current status of EHRs, and I think that's a great example of it, too. So I, I would constantly think through that, take notes, and then try to figure out which of those problems could be solved and how they could be solved. And sometimes it's not your immediate for solutions. Sometimes solutions that seem great are very hard to do. And I try to get good at learning what solutions work and how to make them work. Most people, most physicians, once they get in, and I always say this, you know, jokingly, but you know, again, it's not really because we work as hard as we can to get into medicine then, and most people work as hard as they can then to get out of medicine. I mean, I find that most of us in emergency medicine like it, but want to have something else on the outside that's different, that fresh that adds some income that doesn't involve being in the emergency department at every hour of the day but most people haven't had the opportunity or started you know started sowing those seeds as they've gone through and now they're done with medical school they're in residency or they're out of residency and they're thinking hey this is what I want to do this is what I'm interested in 
but they don't have that foundation. One of the challenges we have with medicine is many of us, probably the majority of us, though it's not as common as it used to be since most medical schools are looking outside of the traditional sciences for their medical students now. Most don't have a background that allows their mind or brain to work in the mode of business or finances or other things that aren't related to the scientific theory and healthcare. So how does one, say they're sitting here right now thinking, man, I sure would like to uh, be the CEO of MD Aware LLC or something similar. Uh, so not that I want to give away your job, but uh, say that somebody else uh, wants to do something like this. How do they get started? How do you get your, how do you get that ball rolling if you've never done it before and you find yourself now 32, 35 years old wanting to do more outside of medicine or even inside medicine? Yeah, great question. Uh, and I think about this a lot because I think what you're saying, and you probably have this view too, is that most physicians are not we aren't trained. The nature of the medical path, which is so intense and takes so long, is not designed to teach project-based work. It's not designed to teach the business aspects or aspects of just how to get things done. You know, I, we use the word entrepreneurship, and sometimes it applies to business, but there's also just big picture pro pro problems on how to fix them. One of the things I worked on was finished in residency, I, I realized that there was no really good guidebook that I liked for a chief complaint-based diagnosis. And so I created one and I pitched it to Emra and now it's published uh, a set of guidebooks that Emra publishes. Um, so I just summarized that in, in about 10 seconds, but that project took a long time and figuring out how to, how to lift that from an idea into a project, even though it doesn't really make money, it's an academic thing. Um, that aspect is something I don't think they teach that much in medicine. So a couple things I would say to folks who are interested in working on a bigger picture projects, especially in, in business aspects. Um, and I think what you're saying is totally true. When people go into emergency medicine, especially, they're looking for other things to do afterwards. And I love how you put it. Mm -hmm. They, how did you say it? They spend half their lives becoming a good doctor and then they're ready to spend half their lives uh, learning how to do something else. I can't repeat it. You try as hard as you can. You, you try as hard as you can to get into medicine, and then you try as hard as you can to get back out. That's totally right. But yep. they they suck in. That's why the debt's an important part of medicine. Is they get you sucked in so deep that you can't get out without, you know, losing your shirt and everything else on the way on the way back. And you know, there's a lot about medicine I love, but there's also a lot about uh, not dealing with uh, death and press gainies and administrative regulations and legislations and and things like that and you know for me you know this this type of stuff whether it's the podcasting or TV or whatever is my release it's what it's what is relaxing that's stress-free for me you know some people get in front of the camera in front of a mic and completely uh, freeze up and, and can't handle it for me it's just like a, it's as it's as good as a as a cold beer Sun you know Monday night football uh, in terms of that stress release for me and so you know, and that's what we want to do for our, our physicians and, and for each person. You know, for you, it is this this business side. You know, for somebody else, it may be um, it may be doing charities. It may be, you know, running or, or managing marathons. It may be whatever it is. But, you know, getting that thing started in from a medical science based mind can be incredibly difficult. I think all the training we have that has made us as smart as we are in many cases cripples us on anything outside of the hospital. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, 
and I think your point goes to my first point. I have a few different points of advice I would give to doctors looking to work outside of medicine. And the first point you have right, is, a, is, an, is right on the, hits it right on the head, which is that we should do it for the right reason. So it's very easy to look at folks in business who are doing well financially and get really turned on by that. I noticed that in business school because the variability of people who do well is big. So it's almost like going to Vegas and hearing that jackpot that's making noise and you don't hear all the people who are losing money, right? There, that happens a lot, definitely in entrepreneurship, but in business in general, those investment bankers, those private equity folks, those venture capitalists, the ones who do well are far and few between and they do really well. So for someone who's in business school, it's, it, it seems reasonable to go after those paths, but you have to work very, very hard, especially in finance, if you're going through a pure finance path and you might not make that much money in the end. We kind of have golden handcuffs in medicine because we get paid pretty well as ER docs with pretty nice lifestyles, to tell you the truth. Compared to my friends who are in business, great lifestyles, shift work. So if you're doing it for the money, you got to be really careful, I think. You got to do it for the passion, and maybe you can make money from it as well. So that's number one. Do it for the right reasons. Do it because you love to do your, what you're doing. That's exactly, and I, and I was going to bring that in, and, and you, you, you got it right there, is you find the passion, to find the thing that you love and want to do, and then figure out the money aspect <laughs> down the road, which I haven't figured out yet from the <laughs> media standpoint. But, I mean, that, that is the important part. If you're going into it, so many people go into it and say, I want to make money. Now I need to figure out an idea on how to do it or what I want to do. Everybody's got a passion is, is develop that passion and then figure out the finances down the road. And that's what's beautiful about medicine is you do have some opportunities because um, the pay is is comfortable and allows you to do some stuff that many folks who are working towards a paycheck at the end of the month uh, can't do because they have to make X dollars to keep the lights on and the water running and the gas on in the winter and, and things like that. So uh, we, we've knocked out one. Number two. So number two is whatever you're going to be doing, you spent your whole life to become a doctor. You have this huge medical base of knowledge. Do something within that space. Tie it to what you're doing. So you, you do journalism and, and radio, but you're doing it about healthcare. That totally makes sense. Once in a while, I see doctors mm -hmm. wanting to create something totally outside of medicine. Maybe they feel burned out within medicine. That's shooting your, that takes away any differentiator you have. So strategically, I don't think that necessarily works well. So I'd say go after stuff within healthcare or tie it back to healthcare. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, we. I had to give up uh, doing film music based programs quickly in medicine because I figured out that they did not mesh. They did not mesh well together. So I, I completely agree with finding a passion that takes advantage of that huge, uh, giant bowl of knowledge we have sitting up there uh, that is healthcare. Exactly, and competing in a different space where there's other folks who've spent their lives becoming expert in that space is almost foolish in some ways. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I would say is, as I mentioned before, doctors are not trained how to become entrepreneurs or how to even do project-based work. Look at MDCalc. We have, we have dozens upon dozens of contributors who write for us. And even this type of project-based work of them writing a piece for us and us going through a pretty rigorous application process to allow folks to write for us, we still have some issues sometimes with doctors who aren't necessarily great at project-based work. 
and that they're used to following i think the medis- medical path has a lot of loop uh, um hoops that are set up for us to jump through essentially and we get really good at jumping through these hoops that are set up by other folks so creating our own project-based work creating the initiative to go through it is something we're not skilled in and we have to understand that that itself is a skill and the second part of entrepreneurship is most things that you're doing for the first time you'll do incorrectly for the first time so if you want to do some even small steps that you've never done before i always try to do it in three or four different ways because i won't know which of those ways will work and i'll expect those ways not to work which is really hard for folks to get used to and all the people on the md calc team um doctors and non-doctors we have a an office in New York with a bunch of a team for MD Calc. Um, this is a concept I'm trying to like constantly get into their mind. We're doing things we've never done before. We're going to fail at doing those things. We'll get it right if we do it four different ways, because then we're allowed for three of those ways to fail. It takes a little bit longer up front. And that is the key to business. And that is difficult for healthcare. We're not used to failing. We're being taught that everything has to be perfect every time. And, and that's the medical legal environment we're in. You know, as a physician now, you have to be perfect 100% of the time, even if it means, you know, going to the zoo and catching the zebras. And in business, it's just the opposite. It's if 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 you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Yeah. Um, it, it's being there and, and getting, um, you know, at least putting it out there and understanding that it may not work this way, but then not using that as a reason to quit. And that's what most successful business folks um, have experienced is the fact that once it failed, they didn't quit. They just kept going. Um, you know, at Apple being a good example of that, you know, us recording this and me recording on an Apple device and talking to you on another Apple device, <laughs> you know, stick with it because clearly if you have the right ideas, it'll come together. Now, staying in that realm of the, of the entrepreneurship, do you think you know, for the person right there that's thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have any business training or anything. Um, you've got your MBA. Is that is that a necessity or how, how are we going to establish that, um, that business foundation? Uh, is it getting the MBA? Is it linking yourself up with business-minded folks to where you, you augment each other? Or is it, uh, is it uh, reading uh, Business for Dummies that you get off of Amazon? Yeah, I think any of those could be a potential path depending on who you are. I look at my MBA training as something that's totally useful to what I'm doing, but isn't necessary. Um, I see it as three buckets of value. The MBA, um, number one is I was on this bottom part of this learning curve. I'd done entrepreneurial things. I'd learned things on my own, but compared to my colleagues in business school who had worked in finance and consulting and had more formal training in business, I had a lot more to learn. And it's not hard to learn it. You know, we go to med school. We're super, super smart people. So we can learn this stuff quick. And if you buy that book for Business for Dummies or if you do it in business school, we learn that stuff quick. So number one, the knowledge, go out there and get it in one way or another. But there's so many different areas of knowledge. So it should be pointed toward your end goal. The other benefits in the MBA are the connections, which actually worked out pretty well. I've had investors for some projects of mine from business school and connections over and over again from business school that I didn't expect at first. And the MBA itself is a degree that will I'll carry on my name and differentiates me automatically. Um, 
What was your second question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stuck on business for dummies because that's where I would have to start myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got your point of joining other folks who are already business-minded. And I think for a lot of doctors, that's a great potential path. But when you do so, there are so many entrepreneurs out there, especially now. Entrepreneurship is so hot. Um, MD Calc used to have our offices with Blueprint Health, which is a healthcare IT incubator in New York City. And I advise for a lot of these companies. These are already the companies who got accepted to Blueprint Health. They're really the top of the top. And still so many of them have ideas that you're, as a physician, you immediately know aren't necessarily going to work. So that's where you have a lot of value at as a, as a physician. Some things just seem obvious to us. Either that's not fixing a problem that's real or other folks are already trying to fix that problem. Or doctors aren't going to use that. Just knowledge that we have that's really hard for a non-physician to have, we can add that value. So if we can partner with the right team who's working well and has a good idea, you can guide them in the right way. And I think for a lot of physicians who don't have business experience, that's a smart way to go if you want to start getting into this realm. The hardest thing, though, is picking the right people to go with, right? You have to go and judge that these folks are going to be good business guys. It's not like picking a doctor. Doctors have already gone through this whole credentialing process, and you still need to pick a good doctor if you are a patient looking for a doctor. Here, it's much harder for us to judge. So that's the challenge, I think, when doctors work with entrepreneurs. But I think it's a smart path for a lot. Well, it's an, it's an awesome thing to do um, to get involved with business because you do add so much, and that's you know, the angle um, that we have as board certified physicians, uh, well, physicians in general, but board certified in a specialty, is you're bringing the expertise that most of them could never, uh, can never attain, even with really hard study, without going to medical school and going through residency, and very few of them are going to do that. So it is a very unique opportunity that puts us, um, puts us in a good place when it comes to these business developments and getting involved with folks and. Um, and we need to take advantage of that. The, the MD or the DO after our name means something. Um, and it means, means something to a lot of people and, and gives you a lot of street cred when it comes to getting involved, getting involved with these sorts of things. So the, the key is there that you need to make sure that you're um, using it in something that's going to be healthcare. The MD or DO after your name, if you're just going into, um, I don't know, what's a decent ship building? Uh, if you're going to, you know, they don't care. You know, it doesn't matter, but yeah. if you're going into um, whether it's health IT or something like you're doing or even a broadcasting, you know, bringing something to the table that they can't normally get access to, especially if you've got an interest or a special uh, special deal with it that allows you to even step ahead because you have the, the knowledge on the outside as well. So where's a good place for folks to start with all of that? If you're interested in the entrepreneurial world, it's a great time now because there's so many healthcare incubators. As I mentioned, there's Blueprint Health in New York City. There's several other ones. I'm on the board of a new organization called Junto Health. It's about two years old, and they are interested in introducing emerging companies with potential buyers of their services, mm -hmm. and they create these really cool summits where they have hospital systems and pharmaceutical companies and payers all send representatives and there's 
both startup companies, more mature emerging companies, all coming together and sharing their thoughts so that early on they can get feedback and and these companies can provide solutions for these folks. Getting within that incubator framework where smart people are trying to find these solutions and getting to know them, they're looking for doctors to come to these things typically. Mm -hmm. So reach out, see what's there, and just get, get your feet wet. I think there's this great book that came out in business a few years ago called The Lean Startup. Have you heard no, of this? Nope. No? Okay. So it, it had a new approach to business that all entrepreneurs are using now. It basically set a new approach. It used to be that folks would create an idea in their mind and then work on creating a product that they thought would work and spend a lot of time doing that and then try to sell that product to the market. Mm -hmm. And it's a really there's a really good chance that that product won't meet, that it'll fail. Compared to early on getting feedback, kind of like what you said earlier, physicians think that way. They want to be perfect. So they want to create things perfectly before they show it to anyone versus going out there and breaking things and showing it to people and getting feedback early. And if you take that mindset of, I have an idea that I think works. Let me test that idea now with the simplest idea, with simplest, they call it in the book, minimal viable product. It might just be an explanation of what your product looks like. And the next step might be a little bit more of that product. And you constantly test it with potential buyers and people who care about this. You can develop the idea that way. But you need to get within that, that framework and that group of people who you'll be selling to mm -hmm. eventually. Right. And they're active. There's a lot of organizations doing that today that weren't doing that five years ago. So it's a great time for this. Wow. So uh, how can folks get more information from you first? I didn't ask. Did did you did we did we get all the points that everybody needs? Because this is new 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 turf for me as a from this side of medicine. You know, it's it's right now. It's I'm walking in as the guy wet behind the ears, just learning this as well. Uh, did we hit all the all, hit all the highlights that you? think our listeners should understand from that uh, getting entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurial mindset other than the fact that I cannot say that word for some reason <laughs> that's I struggle with that word too and I have to say it all the time two other ideas that I put in there one is that it, it's there's a saying you know it's five percent inspiration 95 percent perspiration and it's true in a lot of ways you need to have a great idea and I want to talk about how to pick a good idea in a second. So that 5% inspiration is really important. But in the end of the day, you this is a long run. You can't just think of an idea, throw it out there, and think it's going to stick. These things take time to build. It takes so much more time than you expect, especially if you've never done it before, because you're going to go things, go there, break things, not do things correctly. I find a lot of physicians have really fun, exciting ideas, want to work on projects, if you're an academic emergency physician and you have residents, you've seen this a million times, residents are really excited and come with ideas and very few of them will actually be able to see through even academic projects, small academic projects. So if you wanna start a business, you gotta see it's a big lift and it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. About picking the right idea, to my last point, what I have, from the beginning wanted to get good at, and I think over the years I'm getting better and I still can get better at, is picking the right ideas to work for. So if I find problems in medicine, they're all over the place. I'll write down those problems, I'll write down potential ideas, and I'll be very liberal in the potential ideas and solutions, and sometimes inventions. I have several patents out there as well, 
that I'll that I'll write down. And then separately from creating a lot of good ideas, I have a separate filter on how to filter out ideas that will, won't become good businesses. So sometimes they're a great solution for a medical problem out there. But for one reason or the other, they're going to be hard to get out there. Either it's too expensive to develop before you can test it, or it's not patentable, or someone else there in the business world will, cr- will control that space and you won't be able to get there. There's so many different aspects of that that, um, that I've tried to get good at over the years. So just that framework of not all good ideas are good business mm-hmm. ideas. Not all good solutions to problems up front end up being good business ideas. Well, how do you get that, um, say you're me sitting here in central Kentucky, it was probably not the um, not the business innovation heartbeat of America here. And how, if you start having these ideas, how do you go to? How do you understand if it's got legs on it or not? Who, who do you get in touch with? Because I think a lot of fear is, I've got a great I've got a great idea, but I don't want to share it because I don't want to get want it to get stolen. Uh, but mm-hmm. also, you know, it's if it's just me, it's still just an idea. So how do you make that next step once you start making your list out of, of things? How do you make that next step to say, okay, this has got something. Let's let's see if we can let's see if we can develop this. Sure. That idea being stolen I concept is one that is technically true and it can happen, but it's it's pretty rare that I think people are stealing ideas. And the vast majority of the ideas that a first time entrepreneur will come up with, they'll go out there and if you're in these spaces where a lot of folks are looking at ideas and seeing a lot of ideas, these, um, what's the word I'm looking for, environments where folks are talking to each other, you'll see that the same ideas come up over and over again, right? Uber for healthcare, I've heard that 1,200 times. I have an idea, it's the Uber for healthcare. I have an app and a doctor or a nurse goes and visits you. There's, there's two dozen companies doing that and a lot of them think they're the only company doing that. Or... solving problems in EHRs. Oh, we need to have more communication between EHRs, so here's an idea on how to fix it. That's an old problem. A lot of people know about this problem. It's not creative to to see that the problem's there, and the solutions that are the easy ones to think of have failed. So if you're not around and seeing what ideas have been tried and failed, you're going to probably come up with an idea that other people have thought of. And if you better not go too far down that path. <laughs> You're going to be wasting your time. So getting within these um, environments where folks are talking, I think, is, is probably the, the, the best place to go. And then this lean startup approach. That's a great book to read just to get into that mind frame of early on test your idea. And be, don't be scared to throw. You know, in venture capital, we say our job is hard because you have to tell people that their babies are ugly. <laughs> Right, people come up with this idea and they they're so protective of it and they're so excited for their idea, and so it's like what people do with politics and news stations today, right? They pick the news station that fits fits, yeah, fit, fits what yeah. they want to hear, so they hear the good advice from their friends who might not even know, and they get excited about that. And when people give them criticisms, they you have to look for the criticisms and be willing to accept the criticisms. Oh. Same with patent searches. I have an invention. I want to see if it's patentable. I have to search for other patents and other existing information in the world that will tell me that my idea will die. It's hard to search for that because you don't want to find it. But you better find it before you go down the path. 
right? Well, or you won't be able to patent it. Well, idiot. you'll find out eventually that it's that it's bad. I mean, you're going to find out eventually that your baby's ugly. So, you know, it's and that's that's one of the hard steps in medicine is we we don't want a lot of us don't like being told that we're wrong or that we failed or that it's a bad idea. I mean, I think we all live in such a we live in such an environment where it's all kind of boosting you, you know, kind of boost you up. And because you have to have that confidence when you walk into that room with that undifferentiated patient, but this being very different, you got to seek out very early why it's going to fail and then see if that's something you can fix or if it's something that you just go ahead and say, let's, let's save our time and move on to these other ideas or these other developments that we may have. Exactly right. Totally agree. Having a lot of ideas is good so that you don't feel too attached to one. So give us an idea. How can folks, uh, if, want, if they want more information, because clearly I'm not the expert on this, so you probably wouldn't want to call and, or email me and ask specific business and entrepreneurial type questions, but how can folks get in touch with you uh, via email or social media? Of course, you can find me. I have a uh, joe at mdcalc.com. Pretty easy. You guys know MDCalc uh, is the easiest way to reach me. But I'm also on Facebook. Um, my Twitter handle is jhaboosh. Um, so feel free to reach out to me. And I'm happy to give you whatever advice you need or put you in the right direction. And if you're in one of the major cities, there's probably some incubators. And if you're not, you can reach out to them. Even if you're not, we're in this online world now, right? You don't necessarily physically have to be where other folks are. So spell out that Twitter handle because it's not a John Smith. Um, uh, tw- spell out that Twitter Twitter handle <laughs> so folks can find you. Fair enough. J Habush. That's H A B B, both as in boy. O U S H E. All right. And as for me, you can contact me, your everyday medicine at gmail.com, your everyday medicine at gmail.com. Twitter handle is at everyday med uh, feel you know feel free I, I love your communications let me know um, what you think if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes um, and i know you're pretty excited that this is our first remote recording because i do have at this moment my <laughs> first uh, my my one and only virus i get in the year decided to hit me yesterday so um, just for the sake of infectious disease and you being healthy the rest of the winter it's good that we're 1500 miles apart that's perfect can i give you a, a 30 seconds on some neat things we just did on md absolutely Calc bring listeners. it yeah bring it on awesome so we just launched a site i'm really excited about it we just launched the new site last week and there's a bunch of new functionality the biggest thing we're excited about is a new way to discover calculators a lot of our users have said look if i know the name of the calculator i'll go to md calc but what if I don't know the name of the calculator? So we built this, we actually patented it, this way to discover calculators where you could say, hey, I want a pulmonary embolism calculator, or I want a pulmonary embolism calculator for diagnosing. And it comes up with Wells and Geneva and Perk, and it describes, and we have experts writing the differences between these. So you can read when they work well, when they don't. And then after you diagnose PE, you can click PE, prognosis and now it's the PESI score and a bunch of other scores for the prognostics of PE and how to treat it. So um, one of my chief residents yesterday was giving a ground rounds or morning report at NYU Bellevue on pancreatitis and they looked up on our scores, pancreatitis scores, and it's not just Ranson's criteria, there are a bunch of other ones there so you can learn about them there. Um, 
Anyway, that's the main thing. We have a lot of other exciting things we're doing this year. We just did a partnership with ASAP that we'll be announcing. Um, I think that's uh, that you know about that as well. So um, the question is, the MD Calc have a score for chronic pancreatitis in patients that have no changes in their uh, lipase and are allergic to everything but Dilaudid, Finnegan, and Benadryl? Um, yeah, that's the Stanton yeah. score, I believe. <laughs> we'll be launching that pretty good. Good. shortly. Good. Yeah. Good. If, if, if I'm going to be known for something in Central Kentucky, it's going to be the chronic, the chronic pancreatitis score uh, because we all know the treatment for that one. <laughs> exactly. All right. Until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton. Thank you, Dr. Havush. This has been some ASAP Frontline. Thank you.